Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The content of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward, but we hope that listeners will sit with this discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversations to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if needed, turn off the podcast and consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to the Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. Welcome to Good Sex at NYU. Today we have Sienna Chanel, who is an artist, activist, and content creator based out of New York City. Besides pursuing a bachelor's degree in music business at NYU, Sienna spends the majority of her time focused on advocating for social matters and writing and producing her own music. A big champion for women's rights and sex ed, Sienna co-founded an online platform called The Sex Book that aims to inform, celebrate, and educate female-identifying and non-binary persons on sexual wellness and other taboo topics. On a much lighter note... She also enjoys creating content from a quote-unquote fangirl perspective, often revolving around Harry Styles, the 1975's Taylor Swift, and other pop culture icons. Sienna, would you like to share your pronouns with our listeners and anything else that you'd like them to know? Hi, I'm Sienna. My pronouns are she, her, and I feel like that pretty much covered it. Awesome. Awesome. Can you share one thing that you enjoy about being part of the NYU community? One thing, love my friends, love all of my friends who I've met through NYU. And I feel like that's kind of a cop-out answer. So <laughs> I'll add that I really like that the city is our campus and that it really gives us a different like sense of adulthood. I don't know. I feel like I... I'm really like living my own life and I'm prepared for the adult world in a different way than some of my friends at other colleges. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really unique experience. Yeah. I think being sort of housed in like a very, not I guess not entirely isolated, but kind of just feeling like it's just an insular place at times on other campuses yeah. perhaps. And mm-hmm. here you're just in different neighborhoods and communities. And so kind of, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have a set of questions that we'd like to ask, but feel free to ask us any questions, turn anything around that you'd like to. We want this to be a safe and open space for you to be able to ask us things and have, you know, a conversation. Sounds good. Awesome. 
So what song gets you in the mood or makes you feel good about yourself? I think I have to go with, sorry, I'm laughing, (laughs) Um, with Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. Mm. Not only because he has mentioned multiple times that it's about eating out women, (laughs) but also I just feel like it's such a super fun, happy song. I listen to it all the time when I'm running also. Mm -hmm. I think it like makes me run a little bit too fast for some reason, but... I think it just makes me happy and in a great mood. So also in the mood for sexy things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hate me. I don't think I've ever heard it, but now I really need to hear it. What? I know. You have definitely heard. No, you've definitely heard it. You'll listen to it after this. There's no way that you've avoided this song. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I promise you. Okay. I'm like, I uh, I don't know. I feel like I I read too much. (laughs) I think you wouldn't necessarily think of it as a sexy song when you hear it, but the lyrics kind of are it's a really happy song okay i mean i told so, yeah. you you've enticed me to want yeah, i'm to glad i'm glad <laughs> i love out. i love converting people to harry style yeah like i want i want to listen to it now but i'm like i feel like oh, this might be controversial um, to say i haven't i can't i wouldn't be able to identify it <laughs> so who was your first crush was it a real person maybe a literary musician maybe it was someone on tv i think my first crush ever a fictional character was Peter Pan. Mm. Whatever that says about me. <laughs> um, was definitely obsessed with him. Oh. And do you know what it was about him? I <laughs> I feel like my friends would like laugh at this because I feel like my track record still is with really like lively, like upbeat boyish people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Boys that never grow like up. A, yeah, because I don't want to grow up either. <laughs> so, but I just like his like curiousness and like mm. adventurousness. But yeah, my first real person crush was probably in like third grade. I guess he he was kind of like that because we were in the third grade. <laughs> so, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if there was anything else special about him. Mm-hmm. He was always fun. I met him like I saw him again not that long ago, actually. And he's still kind of like a fun, crazy person. So love that for him. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's great. Have you had your first kiss and who is it with or what was that like? No need to name names if you don't want to. I have. And it was not like a cute romantic story at all. It was like going into my sophomore year of high school. And it was like over the summer. I remember at like some high school party and a lot of my friends had already had their first kiss so there was definitely like ooh peer pressure happening yeah. mm-hmm. and there was this new kid who i was always like artsy mm-hmm. i don't know i mean at nyu i feel like i'm like normal but obviously <laughs> like at my school i was like ooh the artsy girl who like posts songs on soundcloud <laughs> um and this new kid was also notably like kind of artsy so everyone was like they're perfect together like they have to (laughs) hook up whatever and so like at that party I definitely like other people were setting it up super high school so I did kiss him and then I remember like a day or two later I think we hung out and I was like I don't think I actually like you (laughs) and he was like "Mm, that's so cool and fine and then, like, we're best friends now. Mm-hmm. So 
super cool but yeah nothing happened after that at least it was kind of a happy ending. yeah exactly <laughs> so it was fine it wasn't like ooh, romantic because yeah. people were definitely like pushing it on me but it also wasn't horrible or mm -hmm. anything yeah yeah and i made a friend yeah so yeah lifelong friends yeah. worth it exactly <laughs> i thought you were gonna say that when he told you that was fine that you went into it then you're like oh maybe i am <laughs> no he was unbelievably chill i and yeah. he's he's just an unbelievably chill person about everything so tracks now awesome mm -hmm. So how did you learn about personal boundaries? Like our podcast is about sex, but there are other types of boundaries. So it could be about how you spend your time or it could be material objects or even our intellectual or emotional boundaries as well. It's an ongoing process for sure. Like I'm learning more about how to set boundaries every year. And I feel like I'm finally in a place where I'm pretty comfortable with like setting boundaries, but when I was younger, I definitely grew up like a people pleaser mm -hmm. for certain. And I think one of my first like memories of setting a boundary actually came from middle school. I brought in like donuts for my birthday, as one does. Yeah. And I was walking down the hallway and just so many people were asking for my donuts who I did not know. <laughs> and I was giving them away because I didn't want to say no to anyone. <laughs> And my best friend loves telling this story too. Actually, she like spotted me from down the hall and like ran up to me and was like, you can't do this. It's your birthday. Those are your donuts. You brought them for a reason. You wanted to save these two for your siblings and they're going to be gone if you keep giving them to these random people. Mm. And I was like, that's so true. And she wasn't having it. So I think like every day at recess for like a week afterwards, and longer than that she would come up to me and she would pretend that she was asking me for a donut and she'd be like you have to practice saying no to people no. and honestly that helped me I love that. it was really wholesome <laughs> yeah. and I'm very glad she did that because it made me realize that I actually had like a problem of not saying no to people even though it was like in a silly way but mm -hmm. she was very serious so I think we all could use friend. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I feel like she's maybe a little bit of a superhero. No, she really was. I yeah. think I was in like the fifth grade, so wow. that was very helpful. She was Andre's girl. Yeah, That's yeah. A new superhero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what about communication? Often boundaries of communication kind of go hand in hand. But where did you learn about communication or how to communicate? And maybe specifically also around sex and pleasure, desire, those kinds of things. I think communication came later i mean i feel like i was always a pretty open book with people but being confrontational was always very hard for me as well i think my communication got a lot better in my most recent relationship which was i don't know like a year and a half long with a super excellent wonderful person who was super patient but also was like you need to say things <laughs> when you think them, but also he was learning that too. So mm -hmm. I think it was kind of a mutual process because we were more, both more on the quieter side. So it was like coaxing each other out to like mm -hmm. voice those things. So it was good. Yeah. yeah. And what did you need to like coax that out of each other? Like, were there things that were helpful? Well, we started doing this thing where every sunday every week we do like a relationship check-in mm. so we'd have like a list a set list of questions that we would ask each other that were a mixture of like oh what are like three 
great things that like happened this week that like your partner did mixed in with other things like, oh, has there been anything that has been bothering you lately? Mm. Just so we had like a space to bring it up instead yeah. of like letting it get really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so we got too upset and it was really noticeable. So yeah. Yeah. That's a great tip for. I know. Super. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what were some of the dominant messages that you grew up with around sex and relationships? I moved around a lot. So my like sex education was kind of scattered from my parents. I'd say my they didn't really like say that much, to be honest. (laughs) But I could also tell that they weren't like against me having sex if that makes any sense no actually i take that back they have they did say some things i remember my mom reading me some like book for kids okay. about like what sex was mm. and that that was pretty early on and my mom also made sure i mean this isn't sex but like she made sure i knew what a period was mm-hmm. very young because she got it when she was really young nobody had told her mm-hmm. and she thought she was dying Aww. so i feel like there was never a day in my conscious life when anyone in my family didn't know what a period was. <laughs> Very appreciative of that. And similarly with birth control, she told me way before I ever thought about having sex. I remember when she like first told me, I was like, why are you telling me this? I have actually <laughs> never kissed somebody before. Like, oh my God, please stop. Yeah. But she was like, whenever you become sexually active, Sienna, please let me know so we can put you on birth control. And I'm very glad she did that because when the time actually finally came, I did not have a problem saying that to her mm-hmm. and saying that it was because I was going to have sex and not like, ooh, my period is so weird because it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there could have been more mm. talking <laughs> going on, but definitely there was something there. Something's yeah. better than nothing. So yeah. long yeah. as something isn't harmful, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like it wasn't harmful, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think there were other instances where my parents were really weird about me having like sex in the house and same with like my younger siblings but I know that that was an experience a lot of my friends shared and I remember reading something also about like how American parents are like or secular American parents can be kind of strange about sex like Mm. they know their kids are having it but also like want to pretend that it's not happening and i felt like that was very much my parents like they were like yes that's okay but then when it was actually happening they were like no mm-hmm. we don't want to know that it's <laughs> happening like mm-hmm. yeah. yeah a don't ask don't tell kind of a exactly yeah do you remember when you went to your mom to talk about birth control before you started having sex do you remember how you were feeling before having that conversation and then kind of sort of how the conversation went and how you felt afterwards? I don't remember it being that big of a deal, which is excellent. Mm-hmm. But I also think it was because I had a boyfriend who I'd been dating for a while. And yeah, I, I knew she had mentioned it to me multiple times before. Mm-hmm. So, And she didn't really like ask any further questions. I don't, I think she just like didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's good. No yeah, shame. Exciting story. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think that's, that's really something to be positive about because yeah. like you just it was nothing <laughs> yeah you know like it didn't make it a big deal there was no shame there was no mm-hmm. don't do that you know there was none of those messages that sometimes get you know yeah transferred when the actual thing is happening it's one thing yeah, to like exactly. in theory but like when you know it's gonna mm-hmm. be happening mm-hmm. yeah were there any messages from like media or your friends or tv social media anything like that that kind of 
gotten that you were thinking about sex and relationships? For certain, there definitely were. <laughs> um, I think that I was one of those kids, one of those girls that at one point in my life had a little bit of a toxic, like, oh, I'm not like other girls vibe going on. And I think to me that included like watching porn. I think it was a mixture of like that, but also that there were so many girls who I was friends with who wouldn't talk about like sex or like, mm -hmm. well, it was before we were having sex, but wouldn't talk about masturbation. I had mm -hmm. one friend the donut friend, in fact, mm -hmm. <laughs> who would talk about masturbation with me. But other than that, it was something that like boys did talk yeah. about a lot, all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of those things where being friends with boys, I mean, sometimes they talked about it in a weird like way. But at other times, I was kind of glad that they were like saying that it was normal, you know? Mm -hmm. But then watching porn, I think was really bad for me mm -hmm. <laughs> and taught me a lot of the like, toxic things that like we talk about porn teaching men a lot of times mm -hmm. I feel like I was going through that same thing with them and then I had to unlearn it later mm -hmm. like there's so much just casual violence against women mm -hmm. in so much of porn like yeah. once I started actually having sex I was like oh my god that is insane and not what I want to do mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's a really important thing to to hear and to know that like, this isn't reality. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think sometimes that gets lost if you don't have anyone to talk about it with. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, you know, I'm watching this porn thing. Oh, okay. Well, like, you know, that's not real sex. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but like, we're not, we're not typically watching it with others. <laughs> um, but yeah. then we're like, sometimes there's some shame connected to that. And if you add in like gender norms, that like certain people are, you know, it's allowed for them um, in mm -hmm. some worlds, right? In some cultures and in, you know, communities. And and so like, we don't have anyone to talk about it with. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I totally feel that. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we also think about it in terms of telling male identifying folks, mm -hmm. this is not a reality. Don't think that you're going to yeah. experience all of the women that you're with are going to look like this or act like this. Yeah. But I don't think we talk about it from the perspective of a person with a vulva or female identifying person watching that and saying like, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to experience sex in the way that it's portrayed in porn. And I, I think that's a, a great perspective that you bring in that I, I think that we don't talk about that enough. So. Yeah. I feel like I just saw a lot recently too about don't know if I'm about to say this word correctly, so correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong, but some statistic about labiaplasty, mm -hmm, like yeah. mm -hmm. people getting plastic surgery on their mm -hmm. labia, and it's like some astonishing Beauty number standards. of people. Yeah. And it's like, that's so crazy. So you know that those things are like porn is obviously affecting more than just, well, a mixture of both, like it affecting the male gaze and then like people yeah. with vulvas like taking that in and being like mm, my vagina has to look like this yeah, yeah. i mean that's so why we have so many yeah. people that like shave or wax or yeah you know all kinds of number of things because like sometimes it's like they're watching it mm -hmm. and they're like oh i want to look like these people here or it's partners saying why don't you right yeah because that's not beautiful and attractive mm -hmm. right right and it's like well this is my natural state like that's torture mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. for me I don't know how no, me too. <laughs> but I think that that's so true. We don't talk enough about 
both vulvas and penises. Look, there's so much wide variety of normal and we just don't talk about that. And so people feel like, you know, even people with penises feel like they have to get them enlarged or some other type of surgery to make it bigger or better, you know, and and we just don't talk about the wide range of normal and Mm -hmm. everybody's vulva looks different in the same way that everybody, like our faces look different, right? Everybody's vulva looks different and, and it's all great and normal and beautiful. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about sex education. Do you feel like there was uh, anything good in the sex education that you got in school? Um, What was that like for you? The first like high school that I went to, I thought the sex education was pretty good. I think my like one complaint, my one big complaint is that it just like kind of left out LGBTQ plus people entirely. Mm -hmm. But it did kind of touch on like sex for pleasure. And we like did put on condoms like in class on like Mm -hmm. little fake dildo things so that i thought that was great but then i moved in the middle of high school and i have a brother who is two years below me so he was going into his first year of high school and so he i didn't get any further sex education Mm -hmm. but he did and he would come home and be like girl let me tell you what they told us today because it is crazy because we also lived in a very progressive town when we moved so it was really it was really weird to see the sex education like it wasn't the worst thing that i've heard because i have heard horrible (laughs) things Mm -hmm. but it still was like abstinence first Mm. and they taught everything in skip form it was juniors teaching first years everything in skip form including rape which i thought was very strange that they would make that decision yeah So, yeah, I didn't think that was good. And my brother recalled one activity when they were like, what are the reasons that you should have sex? And then all of the students were supposed to list reasons and the guides were supposed to say no to all of those reasons, except for like, you're in a long term loving relationship and to have a baby. Yeah. So that's monogamy. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So when you had the sex ed in high school, that was the first and only sex ed that you had at school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I did not really answer the question. No, that's um, yeah, it was my second high school's sex education that prompted me to make the sex book, mm. which was at first supposed to be just redoing my high school's sex education. But we also were a public school. So even though the teachers who I spoke to really liked the changes I made, they were like, you have to go th- through New Jersey to <laughs> fix yeah. this. Mm. And also, as I was in the process of making the sex book, I spoke to friends who went to a lot of different schools and heard like even worse horror stories mm-hmm. and everything. So we decided to make it just like a public free thing because yeah. it was easier. And also there were other people who needed it even more badly than the people at my high school. Yeah. yeah. We talk about this a lot, but like one of the systems of oppression is institutions like schools, mm-hmm. right? And how difficult it would have been to try to get that cleared through any state, yeah. no matter how progressive it is. Mm-hmm. There's always, you know, folks that don't believe that children should know. And there's especially these days with all books that are being banned and, yeah. you know, be, people really being into critical race theory and how that impact, you know, like teaching children about that. And so like trying to get some of these policies through at a state level mm-hmm. is so complicated. Mm-hmm. So it's good that you were able to just make it publicly available so that anyone can access that. 
Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what sex book is and what it looks like now and how it's being utilized? So, I mean, we did it mostly over the first like quarantine. So at first I gathered basically the curriculum from my school's sex education program, which was easy because (laughs) people in my grade and stuff were teaching it. Mm -hmm. So I just collected it from people I knew who just kept all of their papers and then went through that and edited it. But then talked to the school and everything and they were like this is lovely but we can't do anything with it then i think i posted something on my instagram story asking if anybody wanted to help me making it like more public and really like kind of like an online free textbook for sex education and a bunch of people responded because everybody was stuck at home and we had like weekly meetings where everybody just like was assigned a topic and researched it and we ended up putting together a bunch of pages which we're still trying to edit the website in it's like finalized form but we have like a ton of information and share a bunch of it on our instagram page in like infographic form as well so cool. what's yeah. that instagram account it's called the sex book yeah <laughs> i think there's there is a full stop somewhere in there okay. <laughs> but yeah we'll list it in our show notes okay wonderful books can access that Um, yeah that's an incredible resource Mm -hmm. and i hope that that people find it helpful i hope so too i think one of the great things was i also talked to some people who were still in high school who were like much younger than me who work for like an or have another club and they've been like incorporating it cool into their club as well which has been really great yeah yeah that's awesome making an impact yeah (laughs) that's great Are there any relationship or sexual myths or judgment that you've held in the past that maybe it's taken you some time to gain some insight into? I don't know. Well, I think you named one already about the female identifying folks or people with vulvas not masturbating or watching porn, that that was some some of the messaging that you were getting, but talking to other people helped you realize that that's not necessarily true. This is true i think also i started like masturbating when i was really young Mm -hmm. as some people do and i didn't know what i was doing obviously Mm -hmm. i guess this isn't like a relationship myth this is like a masturbation Mm -hmm. myth sexual myth yeah that was good yeah kind of but i think also from porn thinking that orgasms for people with vulvas happened a certain way like Mm -hmm through penetration i was like that is so confusing because that doesn't happen for me and i don't get it and even when i had my first boyfriend and was having sex i was never having an orgasm which that's totally fine if you have sex and don't have an orgasm but when there i think when there's no attempt Mm. and when you also like do know how to orgasm (laughs) you know your body can do it yeah like you know it's possible i totally knew it was possible I just felt like my body wasn't working properly and I was Mm. super embarrassed that I wasn't able to orgasm from like penetration. Mm, And then later on, especially as I was working on the sex book, I realized that's actually super normal. Like very few people orgasm from penetration alone. And I wish I had known that so much earlier because I felt like I was so weird, especially when some of my other friends were, I guess they weren't saying that they were having orgasms like that. But it seemed sort of implied. But then as I got older, I started asking people, like, did you have an orgasm? And people would be like, 
I think so. Mm. And I'd be like, okay, so that Probably sounds not. like a no yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you would know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wish I knew that a lot sooner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important myth yeah. you know, to really understand. And part of good sex education would happen maybe sooner even than high school. So folks were aware of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. 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 I also just wanted to normalize. I also was an early masturbator. And mm-hmm. I think that was something that there was a lot of like shame around that like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. And yeah. So it's like, you know what? Like perfectly normal to find pleasure in your body, no matter what age, so long as you yourself are doing it. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so it's just like one of those things where it's like, mm, yeah, I don't feel like people really talk about, you know, people with labias yeah. masturbating at an early age. Can yeah. I ask yeah. further questions about that sure. story? Like how, when did you realize you were masturbating or like when, if you remember at all? I mean, I don't know that I knew that it was masturbation until probably later on. Like yeah. I knew that it was pleasurable, right? And so I, yeah, I was exactly. fairly young. I would say I was around six or seven, right? And so mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was masturbation. Yeah. I was like, this feels good. Oh, I got caught once mm-hmm. by my sister and I was shamed about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And then I was like, hmm, I got to stop. I got to figure out how to stop. This isn't good, <laughs> right? And so it was like... You know, something that I was like, I still don't know what to name it, but I've clearly not allowed to do it. Yeah. And I think she probably was the one who told me it was masturbation. I'm like, mm. ooh, that masturbation thing is evil. I'm not supposed to do it. Mm. You know, there was some a little bit of religion in my life at that time. And so it was like, oh, I'm not going to go to heaven if I continue to do this. Oh, no. Yeah. Like all that like shame that came. <laughs> yeah. And like we, you know, it didn't end up you know, staying in the church, but that still shame remained. Yeah. You know, and so I, it wasn't until middle school. But um, what about you? I was also like six or seven years old, I think, when I started masturbating. Similar, like I had no idea. Why would you know that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also caught. This this actually, like, as I'm talking about it, it makes my parents sound super sex positive. I don't think, <laughs> like, th- it's not like they're not sex positive. But I guess they are kind of comfortable talking about things. And looking at my childhood, I think they handled things pretty well. Um, especially compared to other people's parents. But I was caught by my mom because, I don't know, I guess I was just doing it anywhere because I was a kid and Mm -hmm. didn't think anything of it. And she was like, hey, (laughs) you should do that. That's fine. But do it only alone in your room, actually. And I was like, what? And she was like, I'm actually not going to explain any further, but this what you're doing right now is like a private activity you know like like going to the bathroom like you just do it you close the door you know love that and i was like okay (laughs) and i didn't think anything else of it and then i think maybe in middle school i realized because other people started talk other people Mm -hmm. being like boys in my grade Mm -hmm. started talking about masturbation and i was like that is probably Mm -hmm. what i have been doing yeah i (laughs) feel so connected to you right now yeah me too (laughs) I, I'm just I'm kind of soaking in what you, what you guys are sharing, and I I definitely did have early years of self pleasure, but I I honestly cannot remember, yeah, that connection. I and I don't think I ever got caught, quote unquote. But all of the memories that I have of that were in my room at night. It was like an after bedtime kind mm-hmm. of thing. Of so like less likely that somebody would walk. Oh, I yeah. shared my bedroom. Oh. Oh. That's unfortunate. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I did it in public places too. Yeah, but I'm exactly. just so that, that's what I said. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember doing it in a public place. I don't remember anybody shaming me or telling me not to. But I, and I, I don't remember 
at what point I realized that it was masturbation. But I feel like the fact that I did it at night in my bedroom, like something, I don't know, like, is there a memory that I have blocked out of somebody saying something that I was kind of like, I subconsciously or somehow knew I shouldn't, people shouldn't see me do this. I shouldn't get caught. But there wasn't necessarily shame until much later with religion and once Mm -hmm. I realized what it was. But I don't know. And I don't have like ages. There's no specific age range in my head. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. That's so interesting. There's three of us in this room. Yeah, Yeah, it's more common than we talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And so I guess I'm curious about maybe you talk about this a little bit in the sex book, but what kind of like relationship models were you exposed to in your life? And has that influenced the ones that you choose to engage in now? Um, maybe you've been exposed to more of them because of the the sex book. I don't know. I'm curious. I've been saying a lot recently that I wish that I knew more of my parents' friends when I was mm. younger, because mm. I wish I had been exposed to what their relationships were like as well. But I think I really only knew like what my parents acted like and I was always the kind of person who had my friends over at my house not for any particular reason I think I was just lazy and like didn't like going to other people's places and my parents were fine with all of my friends coming over but I do remember one of the first times I like slept over at one of my friends houses and actually talked to their parents and I was like oh my god they do not act like my parents at all that's so weird (laughs) um I feel like my parents can be not aloof but i like thinking of them when i'm trying to describe them as like business partners like they'll Mm. sit at the table and (laughs) i really don't know how to explain it they're just not super affectionate people Mm. basically so when Mm. i saw other people's parents being affectionate at like 40 years old i was like oh my god i didn't realize real people acted like that (laughs) when they were married Yeah, that was really my only relationship model, monogamy and heterosexual parents. Mm -hmm. I did know that gay people existed, though, when I was younger, at least. I did realize that because I think one of my friends when I was in kindergarten had two dads because I remember asking them who their parents were. And he was like, those two. And I was like, what? But I was like six years old. So Mm -hmm. afterwards, I thought that made sense. And then from then on was not confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I good. think kids get it so yeah. much more than yeah, we give them credit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Two dads, two moms, three parents, sure. Anything is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, your normal is your normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's not until outside influences come in and start to say, like, that's harmful, that's bad, that's wrong. Yeah. Do we start to shift and be sort of brainwashed? Yeah. Into hate or into other things. And so, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Like, children get it. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. So if you could go back and talk to younger Sienna, are there any things when you were starting to have sexual urges or becoming sexually active that you wished you could share with your younger self? Apart from the orgasm by penetration myth thing, that like sex does not have to be super serious. Like mm-hmm. you can talk and laugh. That's fine. That's actually more than fine. It makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like my my first boyfriend was just kind of the, the worst in a lot of ways. So I don't <laughs> even like comparing my second boyfriend to him at all. Um, but yeah, during that first relationship, I feel like I just didn't really think that sex was fun. 
but at the same time, I obviously like had sexual urges. Like I knew how to masturbate and everything. And I did that by myself, but it was kind of like when I had sex with my boyfriend, he was so serious and it was so like exactly what you see in porn. And I was like, wow, this is just not that fun. And then I started dating my last boyfriend and realized that you can talk and laugh and have a super fun time and not do things in a very like step by step Mm -hmm. way in sex and sex doesn't have to be just penetration that's not what sex Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. that's basically what i wish yeah i knew Mm -hmm. that sex is not equal to penetration because i did really think that and it's definitely not for me i mean i think a lot of people still think that Mm -hmm. i think it's a really good point i mean we say that all the time we like to say sex is more of a a menu yeah (laughs) and you don't always have to have like the same thing that's a great way to think about it actually yeah yeah Yeah. i don't think we can claim that i think there are others that like start (laughs) that but like that's how we we like to claim it what's interesting i just heard this recently relating to the menu in terms of like everybody has different foods that they like like if you think about specifically Mm -hmm. a food menu and I might crave sushi, but you may not like sushi. I'm vegetarian, so that's yeah. There you go. (laughs) And like, but also, I'm never going to crave mushy, overcooked broccoli. And if that's the kind of sex that I'm having, is like equivalent to mushy, overcooked broccoli. I'm good. Like, I'm never going to crave that. I'm never going to want that. And so, I think that it, we like to shame ourselves. Like, oh, I should like this overcooked mushy broccoli why don't i what's wrong with me rather than thinking about like what do i like and how like and making sure that we're having the sex that we like and not just the sex that we should quote unquote be having yeah but yeah i like that it's like men Mm -hmm. the menu and the food it kind Mm -hmm. of goes yeah yeah, (laughs) definitely and i think the way it was first presented to me was you know sort of similar around like pizza it's like Mm -hmm. oh like you need to also like decide what you want on your pizza before you, you don't just order a pizza for you. Mm-hmm. We have to have a conversation. Like you're not yeah. ordering for me off my, off the menu. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think it's like a really good illustration, but mm-hmm. shifting gears a little bit, how do your identities influence your perspective and views on sex and relationships? That's a great question. I think that in the beginning of like my exploration with sex and relationships, the like segment of my identities that was really affected was me being like, not just a woman, but also like a small Asian woman (laughs) and being around a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely made for some interesting little moments in my relationship. And also I definitely had some moments where I was like, oh my God, am I being fetishized right Mm -hmm. now? And definitely probably was sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the things that were said to me in my first relationship in the Mm -hmm. beginning were like, oh, like, I thought you were so innocent and like, I don't know, like, yeah, (laughs) passive. And it showed in like the way that he treated me also. And... Mm, like there were sometimes nicknames that like were like one time wanted to call me dumpling and I was like oh oh I don't know about that that seems a little bit questionable coming from your mouth actually 
Not on the menu. Yeah, very much <laughs> not on the menu. Not on the menu. <laughs> um, Sorry, so, I don't mean to make light, but like... <laughs> no, no, no. It's so okay. fine. I I am way past it now, thank God. But... That's horrible. Yeah, yeah. He, he was questionable human I'm being glad that sometimes. you're not in that relationship anymore. Yeah. No, me too. It's very <laughs> high school. Not good school. sex and... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of bad things from th- that human being. It's actually starting to make sense, though. Not good sex, mm. not a good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Not looking for your pleasure. Exactly. So maybe there's a correlation. But yeah, and that one I feel like being an Asian woman, especially up, like I am 5'2, so it just adds to mm-hmm. it, especially in sexual scenarios with like a white man, which. I feel like I've just lived and gone to school in a lot of very like white mm-hmm. institutions. So those are the guys that I interact with the most. And sometimes it's super normal and other times it's like not really. <laughs> but I think also later on, like in my college life, when I was dating my last boyfriend, who was wonderful, lovely, nice, I was also coming to terms with like being queer as well and i think trying to figure that out while also being in a relationship and like a straight relationship was a tiny bit confusing Mm -hmm. but honestly he was super normal and fine so yeah nothing bad happened there but sometimes i think about it now as i like move through the world how that's going to be. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing. I also really appreciate, cause I don't think that it has come up that often in our conversations just in height. You know, I think about it, like you're mentioning mm-hmm. like you're five, two, I'm five eleven, And so something that like, I, I get to own mm-hmm. that I feel more powerful at times yeah. because of my height. I'm, I'm a little like, especially when I was younger, a little bit different now, but I was also very thin. And so like my size in that capacity also made me feel like I didn't have a lot of power, but I was like, mm-hmm. I also could tower over people. Yeah. And so there was something like powerful about that that I don't think we always think about when it comes to our identity. So I'm really glad that you brought that yeah. one up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does power, privilege, and oppression play a role in your sexuality and how you engage in relationships? Kind of like what I just said, but also, I don't know, I've only been in like long-term relationships with men. And it definitely definitely plays a role I don't don't know Mm -hmm. Um, especially being somebody who like reads so much about gender and sexuality and sex like sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming than like coming home to your like straight white boyfriends and just being like I actually don't want to talk to you right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it's just a lot but yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of what specifically like again with the tall thing my my first boyfriend the bad one (laughs) he was he was very tall as well like he was over a foot taller than me which i think added to like the really weird power dynamic Mm -hmm. and i think i did especially in high school feel like i was put into like a more passive like role in my relationship and i noticed a lot when i would go out with him because we would go out in like a smaller town area that whenever we'd like go to a restaurant or go anywhere, the waiter would always like defer to him. Whoever mm. we were talking to mm. would always defer to him. And it kind of like really made me annoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting also just moving through the world in a relationship 
I felt like I got treated differently. But even when he like wasn't there, people who knew me like via him because he was like, I don't know, kind of an angry man person. <laughs> like I felt like once I was out of that relationship, I didn't realize how much it was affecting like how I interacted with other people as well. But I think that was also a larger problem. Like I think we had a very toxic, bad relationship, mm -hmm. which you can probably kind of tell from little details, but yeah. yeah. Well, I'm also wondering, you mentioned some of the, the gender, you know, roles. Um, did that show up in any of your relationships, whether this one or other ones? Cause I think sometimes that we fall into certain patterns, whether we intend to strictly conform or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's just so ingrained in us. Yeah. The one saving grace for me in high school was I was in high school. So I lived with my family, super normal, whatever. But in college, when I was in another relationship, my boyfriend would come to stay with me sometimes. And that would be like a little bit annoying <laughs> to me occasionally. And it wasn't entirely his fault, but living with somebody and having them share your space I did realize that I never want to share a room with anyone. Even <laughs> even if we're like married, I don't care. I need my own room to have my own decorations. Like we're probably not going to have the same aesthetic going on. And I just <laughs> don't want your stuff in my stuff. Like that's how it is. But I feel like there was a little bit of that at play just from like doing dishes and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I also like when he was staying with me, my roommate was a guy as well. So I think I felt extra angry. I felt like mm. I was turning into my mom whenever there were like <laughs> tons <boys>. of dishes <laughs> in the kitchen and it was like messy. Yeah, I remember one time I came home and like they became friends, so that was nice. But I came home and I had like four classes that day and like a club meeting and like so much stuff to do. And both of them had been home the entire day. And I came back and there were like, there was like a pile of dishes in the sink and like food everywhere. And I was so mad. I was like, both of you, I don't want you to talk to me. I'm going to go to my room. Just don't, don't say anything actually. Um, so yeah, but I think it, it was heightened because I was also living with another boy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 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 Well, again, I think they just come up sometimes and we don't even realize that we're just falling into yeah. that pattern. And you're like, wait, no. I don't want to do this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So how often do you talk about sex in general and your sexuality? And with whom do you have those conversations? I I talk about it all the time to like everyone. I do even try to talk about it with my parents, kind of. But they're like not totally ready to talk about it. <laughs> in front, they're kind. I can kind of talk about some things in front of them, especially while I'm not in a relationship, when I'm talking about sex more generally, they're starting to be a little bit more receptive to it. Mm -hmm. Like going back to what we were talking about earlier about having sex in the house. I read like a little article about how in Denmark, I think it's super normal for like high school aged kids to have sex like in the house because the parents feel better about like them being in a safe space or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, they're having that conversation with their kids already, kind of the same one that American parents are having, but then they feel fine acknowledging the fact that it's going on. <laughs> um, 
rather than like banishing them to like cars and like the woods or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but my brother was in a relationship like while I wasn't and I didn't feel comfortable bringing it up to my parents while I was in a relationship. But while I wasn't in one, I felt fine talking to them about it because I was like, do you really want like my brother and my like younger, even younger sister to have to like go drive to some parking lot and like have sex there? Or would you rather them do it in like the safety of their own room? You know, the person who walked through the door, they're not going to be crazy enough to like let you hear them. They would not want that (laughs) as much as you wouldn't want that. And yeah, my parents are becoming a little bit more cool with talking about it. But other than them, I feel like I talk about sex with literally everyone, especially because people know I work on the sex book. They'll ask me things. And it's always very fun for me because I think while I talk about it with everyone, a lot of other people don't Mm -hmm. talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm very open about my sexual experiences. Like, I will tell you anything So once I start doing that, other people feel like they can too. And Mm. like the masturbating at such an early age story as well. Like I've now told that to like so many people. And what's really interesting is I've now learned super normal, especially Mm -hmm. for people with vulvas, because I think like your clitoris when you're younger is already like, that's that. It's exactly the same. So a lot of people figure it out very (laughs) early. And a lot of people keep that to themselves, but once I start telling people, mm-hmm. you realize it's a lot more than you think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Definitely. I have a follow-up question about your conversations with your parents. Yeah. Um, do you ever ask them about their sex life? No. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm afraid of. I actually, like, <laughs> I thought that they like, I don't know. I was convinced that they didn't have sex anymore, but now... Sometimes my siblings and I like... I hope that's not true for them. I hope it's not true either. I actually yeah. hope that they do. And I don't think they would ever mention it to me. <laughs> but my siblings and I like talk about it sometimes. We're like, when do you think it ever happens? My sister <laughs> thinks it happens. So I believe her. Yeah. Maybe. I hope for them. I hope that they do, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't have to picture it. This is what I tell yeah. people. I'm like, don't picture it. Yeah. Just like, hope that they get to have that kind of pleasure if that's something that no, they're wanting. I really yeah. hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how important is sex in your life and in your relationships? And have there been times when it has like ebbed and flowed and, you know, maybe been more or less important? Yeah, I think right now, it's not that important. Like, it's not really a priority in my life. I'm not mm-hmm. in like a long term relationship. But one thing I did realize in my last relationship as well, which was like pretty long, was I feel like there is this expectation to have like sex a certain amount of times, like, I don't know, once a week or something. I don't know what people do, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, like in your monogamous relationship. And there were some times when like, I just wasn't feeling like it for like, I don't know, a month or two. And then one month I'd really like want to have sex all the time. But during those times when I was either stressed out by other things and like just wasn't feeling it, my boyfriend was like, oh my gosh, do you not love me anymore? Like, are you not attracted to me anymore? Which totally, I totally get the concern actually. 
especially when there is this idea that like you should keep having sex mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god we've been dating for this long like do you just not like me anymore and i think we dissected that a lot and we were like let's think mm. when you're single i mean maybe some people have sex all the time but when i'm single and when he has been single and a lot of our friends it's not like you're having sex every single week so it's kind of interesting that once you get into a relationship it's like sex has to be this routine mm -hmm. and so we started reframing like i still thought that having sex was important and we can like schedule it into our agendas if we want to but also feeling like it is okay and it mm -hmm. does not mean that i don't love you or anything if neither of us actually feel like having sex for like two months because mm -hmm. when you're single like I don't know, I'll go without having sex for like a year and mm -hmm. I feel totally fine about it, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can find pleasure in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, you can pleasure yourself, but also so much other pleasure is out there. But I also think there's the the myth that when we first start dating someone, we have to have all of this sex. Yeah. And that if we don't maintain that, then something is wrong with the relationship. Like, mm -hmm. oh, every time we see each other, we need to have sex. Yeah. And then when that, like, you start to be in, whether it's monogamous or just like one pair bond, if that's not the same throughout the entire course of the relationship, then you're doomed. And it's like, no, everything's going to ebb and flow. Like, we're yeah. human. And so to realize that, I think, is really, really important. Like, the beginning of the relationship, you're excited and you're exploring someone new and that's to be expected. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And I think we also just don't talk enough about the term like mismatched libido and this idea that mm -hmm. like somebody may want sex all the time and somebody may not want sex that often. And like, how do we have those conversations? So each person feels like they are getting what they want out of a relationship and that they're not being pressured or they're not being neglected mm -hmm. you know and somebody who has a super high libido and somebody with a super low libido like may decide in the end that they're not a good match but mm -hmm. there are lots of ways that both people can feel heard and still have a successful relationship but it takes yeah. communication and it takes understanding that everybody is normal for whatever they're feeling and that not wanting sex for a couple months is completely normal. And that doesn't mean you don't love your partner the same or want to still be intimate with them and probably has nothing to do with them. And mm -hmm. so I think, I think we do need to talk about that more and just really encourage the communication piece and, and understanding that it's all normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So we have this term called sexual project and it's really the reason why someone seeks to engage in any kind of particular sexual interaction or experience. And this can shift and change in the moment or just over time. And you can have multiple sexual projects. And we got this from um, a book called Sexual Citizens. And the examples might be things like being intimate, pleasure, exploration. It could also mean to de-stress or to not have sex at all. Right. And so I'm wondering if you could share with us any of the sexual projects that you've had over the course of your sexual life so far. I think that hmm, my current sexual project is, well, I've been trying to invest a lot more time in like my music and my friends. And as like a sexual project aside to that, it has been to not have sex mm -hmm. unless 
I guess this sounds kind of stupid, <laughs> but like, unless I really want to, and it's somebody who like I'm friends with, and I know that sounds like that should be a given, but I feel like, especially in college, especially here in New York, the hookup culture is like so pervasive. And I feel like a lot of hookup culture, like the thing I don't really like about it, I feel like there's nothing wrong with casual sex, like go mm -hmm. for it, slay. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing I don't like about hookup culture is that so much of it, there's like this need to be anonymous in a way or like mm -hmm. to not have any feelings for the person. And if I'm going to have sex with you, I would like to like you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't need for us to like be in a long-term like mm -hmm. romantic relationship, but I would like for you to be somebody who I'm like friends with, who I obviously have some sort of connection with mm -hmm. and who I'm not like pretending like, oh, I have no feelings for you at all. Because if for me personally, if I just wanted to like, have an orgasm i would just like do it at home mm -hmm. i don't know mm -hmm. like it's far more reliable it's objective <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but, and i don't think that sounds yeah. stupid or weird at all i no. think that's so so many people can relate to that mm -hmm. right like yeah. i think hookup culture is fine for some and then other people need to have a little bit more of an emotional connection even if it's not an emotional connection doesn't mean or an intellectual doesn't mean you need to be in a relationship. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like it's just something that maybe turns us on that we don't get with ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know I'm smart. I can like, you know, masturbate, but like maybe I need that like stimulation in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, have you ever had a time or an experience when you wanted to ask a doctor or a medical provider a question could be about your sexual sexuality or just in general that you felt like you couldn't ask or weren't comfortable enough to ask? I don't think so, but I feel like I haven't really had anything like out of the ordinary to ask mm -hmm. yet. And also I think my gynecologist is great. Like, I don't know, my mom obviously like vetted everyone before <laughs> I went in because she's just kind of like that. So I walked in there and immediately liked the doctor I had, mm -hmm. and it's been fine ever since. Yeah, and That's I've, great. I've only gone like once a year. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah, for, and I haven't really. Other than that, yeah. Good on you. That's yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, what do you do to take care of your health, sexual health, and your mental health? My mental health, I go to therapy. Actually, I need to get. A new therapist since I'm graduating soon, so mm. have to find one. But my sexual health, I'm trying to think. I mean, I try to have like some alone time every once in a while. Um, I have a subscription to Quinn. Oh, yeah. So that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Love Quinn. And what, what was the other health? Health? Just general <laughs> Just health? Just general yeah. health. <laughs> um, I used to do. When I was a freshman, I was doing cross country and track and field for NYU. And when the pandemic happened, I stopped. So reincorporating exercise into my life that's not in a really like regimented way has been interesting, but I still really love running. So I've been running. I joined the NYU climbing club. Mm, cool. So yeah, doing that has been good. And also in my last year of NYU, I have been trying to like 
do as many club things and activities as possible just because I feel like I missed so much when I was home for quarantine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I want to try to be connected with different parts of the NYU community that I hadn't met before and like the climbing club is one of those things that I probably would have never done before and I'm meeting people I would have just never seen otherwise and I feel like doing things like that keeps me both physically active and also like seeing people that I wouldn't normally mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Yeah. Finding that belonging. So maybe that connects a little bit as well to our mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to explain what Quinn is for listeners who may not know? Oh, yes. Quinn is an audio erotica app made for women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that honestly might be a direct quote from like their <laughs> page. I just feel like I have been a fan of them for so long. Yeah, no, they're very excellent. And I also like that all of the audios are just like, it's like a podcast, but one person. Mm. So obviously, like, everyone in the room consented because it's just you and the person talking. Mm -hmm. So I think having, I don't know, it's a great platform. Mm -hmm. I urge everyone to go check it out. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. That's a good resource. Mm -hmm. Um, So at our last question, what does good sex mean to you? I think good sex to me, mm, I think it involves some level of intimacy, like trust, fun. I feel like it needs to be fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And with people or not, I feel like sex can be by yourself or with Mm -hmm. somebody else. And it is not necessarily penetration. Mm -hmm. I feel like Putting that into my definition right now is very important because now I'm starting to see sex as just like sexual activity that you engage in with yourself or with another person. And that could be anything on the menu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. Well, thanks so much for being here with us today. I really love all these conversations. I think we... Danielle and I both related to a lot of what you had to share. And I just thank you for having the courage to come and and share everything that you shared. Is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners or any questions you'd like to ask that you didn't get a chance to ask? I don't know. I could talk about this for so long. (laughs) So so I think I'm just going to stop there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Are there places where folks can find you um, if they wanted to look you up after this conversation? I'm everywhere. You you actually can't not find me. Um, Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Sienna Chanel, but also the sex book is on Instagram. If you just look up the sex book, I think it's the first thing that pops up. And pretty much everywhere on the internet, I am Sienna Chanel and the sex book is the sex book. Basically, (laughs) you'll see it. You can also find me in Washington Square Park sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Especially I'm around. The nicer. weather's getting Yeah, nice. you'll yeah. spot me. Say hi. I'm not scary. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for being yeah. here. Thank yeah, you. thank you. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours and may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback, as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert, 
at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone, NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. The National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Baini-Amisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 